So thanks for coming. Um, I am uh, Bill Sprouse. I had to write it down here because I will forget it. Public speaking is not my core competency. Um, but I'm one of the people who does Route 40 along with Eleanor. We're an online news site. Um, thanks for coming out. Um, Eleanor's background, and we're both sort of doing local journalism, but our background is uh, actually in business reporting. Um, Elle covered the financial crisis for uh, Reuters in New York City, um, and then we moved to Mexico City, and she's interviewed people like Jamie Dimon, the head of uh, J.P. Morgan, and Tony Blair. Um, I wrote for a little real estate publication that no one's ever heard of. Um, I got yelled at by Jared Kushner one time. <laughs> uh, that's my brush with fame. Uh, but um, I guess I wanted to talk for a second about why, um, sort of our value proposition and why we think you should want us to be here as business people. Um, one thing is we can convene little groups like this that might have some uh, use around a common theme. We have um, Ali Nunzi here tonight, founder of Grace and Glory a local entrepreneur, and she's going to talk about her experience uh, starting a business in her hometown. Uh, she's launching the Leadership Studio on Tennessee Avenue, which is a nonprofit yoga studio, if I'm correct, and um, it's going to be part of that sort of wider uh, redevelopment project on Tennessee Avenue. Um, so hopefully we can moderate this discussion and send you home uh, with something useful. Um, um, a lot has, I guess, been written about the gig economy, um, and that's great. People have skills or uh, an idea and some energy and ambition. Uh, but I guess what we wanted to talk about was um, taking a step from being a freelancer and working for yourself to uh, becoming an entrepreneur and building an organization. And uh, people here have already done that, it seems like. <laughs> um, but you can always, it always you know, helps to hear from other uh, people. Um, we have sort of backed into creating uh, an organization, I guess. Um, it's pretty daunting. Um, we didn't really set out to do this, but uh, um, it can also hopefully be empowering. Uh, so we wanted to help connect you with people who can maybe steer you through the process, uh, whether that's getting financial advice or legal advice or strategic advice or moral support, which is very important. Um, yeah, the, the second thing I think, um, as a media outlet, what we can do um, is you guys, as small business owners, are a constituency. Um, and you're distinct from the big businesses, which sort of have a voice. And um, there are times, I know, uh, when it's helpful to have <clears throat> an outlet to get a certain message out, to talk to each other, to talk to local residents, to talk to politicians, um, leaders. Uh, in a way that's kind of separate from your marketing activities. Uh, and we can, I think, help uh, sort of set an agenda. You know, what are people talking about? Whether it's um, an issue like uh, needles in the tourism district, something we've been, you know, uh, working on lately. Uh, we, we're kind of professional busybodies. We can pick up the phone and call people that you might not want to call and say, what's going on? Why is this... Uh, uh, what can what can be done to sort of solve a problem? So we think we sort of add value uh, in that uh, respect. Um, and the last thing, Atlantic City has, um, I don't want to sound too controversial, but Atlantic City sort of has a perception problem. That's not really new to anybody. Um, um, the Atlantic City story can sort of be a challenge, and I know that has implications whether you're 
try and get people to come to your small business on Vendor Avenue, or whether you're trying to get a convention to go to a hotel, or whether you're trying to get a big institutional investor to uh, support your mixed-use real estate development somewhere. Um, the story, the Atlantic City story matters. Um, we find this community fascinating. We think it's full, sincerely full of untapped potential and opportunity. Uh, we've chosen to live here uh, for a reason. We've chosen to raise our kids here for a reason. Uh, so we're completely unconfronted in trying to uh, change the perception of Atlantic City uh, and to tell that new story. We're sort of excited about um, the new phase of the Atlantic City story that I think we're kind of moving into. Uh, and we want to be a part of uh, changing the perception. Um, so thanks for supporting us. Thanks for coming out. Uh, thanks particularly to Jake Persky, uh, who's a partner at Fox Rothschild, uh, who has sponsored uh, this event. Um, Jake went to mainland, I think, in the University of Pennsylvania, so Woo! somehow managed to play <laughs> football for the wrong team on two different occasions. <laughs> but we met Jake a few months ago, and he said something interesting. We were talking about uh, friends in uh, cities like Philadelphia and New York City. Um, and he said... Um, he said something to the effect that, like, he feels like those guys are sort of, in a certain way, maybe taking the easy way out. Um, and that made an impression on me. Um, because doing something from scratch here in Atlantic City is difficult. Uh, and it's also maybe more worthwhile. Um, so we have a lot of admiration for you guys for uh, trying to start your own thing and really turning this community around. So thank you for supporting uh, us. Thanks, Jake, for being a sponsor. I'm going to back. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Uh, I'm a great guy, even though he went the Holy Spirit. So this Connecticut, I'm not familiar with. Um, so hello. Thank you to everybody who came out uh, tonight. I heard, as, as people told their stories and talked about why they're here, I heard a lot of the same reasons um, that I've chosen to live here. And Eleanor and Bill and I talked about the first day we sat and had lunch. And, I, Levi, for those who don't know, Levi Fox and I went to preschool together, right? <laughs> high school? At various points, I think. And then a little Levi. grade school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my mom taught you in kindergarten. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Levi somehow escaped the uh, two-minute intro that everybody else well, was compelled to get. Well, I won't so <laughs> you guys. But he runs Jersey Shore Tours, so that's okay. Sorry. Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm excited uh, to live here, to raise my family here. Um, to, uh, I blew out of work today for two and a half hours and went surfing, which is something you can do when you live here. You can't do when you live in Philadelphia or New York. Uh, and that, that's really what got me here tonight. So I'm happy to hear that, that other people um, feel the same way. I'm ecstatic that we have something like 20, 25 uh, people here tonight, which I think is great. And I think that if everybody here promises to bring one friend uh, October 24th when we're at Little Water Distillery, then if my math is right, and I went to law school so I wouldn't have to do math, I think we'll have about 50 people. And as I understand, that's how businesses grow, that's how communities grow. Um, and so I think we're off to a good start. If you don't mind a plug um, from me, which is why I'm here, I happen to run a small business uh, just like the rest of you do. Um, I'm a partner at a firm called Fox Rothschild, which is a national law firm. We have about 800 lawyers in 22 offices, coast to coast, and we're about 100 years old. And I know that, that I know what you're thinking. You think, oh, it's a big corporate sort of stuffy law firm. Um, we pride ourselves on being a very entrepreneurial law firm. And so even though we have 800 lawyers, you could also look at us as 800 small businesses. 
Every lawyer has their own book of business. Every lawyer has their own clients. Um, and in addition to serving other people's clients, you know, we're all trying to bring more work into the door um, and, and feed more work to the other people and the other lawyers around us. So if you, if you will indulge me for a second, I want to try to turn some of the negatives that you might be thinking about a big corporate law firm into positives. And the first is you're thinking, well, you're big and you've been around for 100 years and you probably represent really big companies and you know, what, what value can you bring to me? Um, and the second, which is tied to that, is, well, you're really big and you're probably really expensive. Well, both those things actually work to your benefit. Um, and that's because, first of all, the reason that we're expensive, or the reason that our rates are what they are, we're not expensive, by the way, I'll get to that. The reason our rates are what they are is because people will pay them. And the reason people pay them is because people derive value from them. So I think, um, Ray, I heard you mention that you're a photographer. I hope you don't ever apologize for your rates. And for everybody, anyone else who's in here, um, who's freelancing or, or doing work at an hourly rate, don't ever apologize for your rates. You are worth it for what you do, and you should make sure that the people who hire you um, understand that. So back to our rates. Our rates are going to be higher than any other law firm that you hire in town. Period. Full stop. But there's a reason for that. And the reason is our collective experience and our collective efficiency. So the really short example is you can go hire a lawyer at $125 an hour who doesn't know anything about your business and doesn't know anything about your problem, and they're going to spend all day trying to figure it out. And at the end of the day, you might get a bill for 10 hours for $1,000 and, and $1,250, and maybe they got the right answer. Or you can call me and someone in my office who bills $800 an hour who's seen your problem 15 times before can get you an answer in half an hour. $400 bill is a lot better than a $1,000 bill. So don't focus on the rate, focus on the value that we deliver from our um, efficiency. And so with that, my door is always open. I'm excited about uh, this process. I'm excited about these boot camps. I'm excited about every business that I hear in the room. I'm excited every time I hear somebody say they've chosen to live here, chosen to raise their family here. Um, and love being here because, uh, just like I heard some other people say, I think we have fantastic untapped resources in Atlantic City and Atlantic County. And I mean that in terms of real estate, I mean it in terms of human capital, I mean it in terms of um, physical characteristics. We have the beach, not everybody has that. So uh, with that, I would like to introduce Ali Nunzi. Ali is the owner of Grace and Glory in Northfield and Fishtown and Am I forgetting anything? Yeah, no, we have two locations, Northfield and Fishtown. Northfield and Fishtown. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, the Leadership Studio on Tennessee Avenue, which is part of that uh, Tennessee Avenue uh, redevelopment. And I happen to be a student of, not necessarily Allie's, but of uh, Grace and Glory. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. You should go there. She'll change your life. And with that, <laughs> Allie knows it. Um, all right, so this is uh, a bit new for us. We often interview people, um, but usually you just see the, the written form of the interview. Um, so what we as journalists do is try and find out the story behind the people. Um, and I think when you're a business owner, you're actually thinking a lot about your story and how to put your story out there. Um, but I thought it would be really good to kind of start at the beginning with Ali and find out <laughs> how oh, you became. Been here a while. <laughs> <laughs> how, so how did you become a business owner? Um, by accident. I, uh, Bill had mentioned something about you guys like happenstance and then here you are. And um, that's pretty much how it happened for me. So I knew that um, I was working for a large corporation in Washington, D.C., and I'm like, well, maybe I'll move home to Philadelphia. 
And I'm like, no, like Atlantic City area really needs what I knew that I could contribute. And so the only thing that I really know how to contribute is yoga. And so um, I knew that there wasn't anything that existed currently in our area and so I had no other choice as I like to put it to open a yoga studio so I had somewhere to teach and so when I opened our first location in Linwood we could fit 12 mats and Kathy who is now my partner in the leadership studio was one of my very first students um, in Linwood she came on her birthday and then she kept showing up so and now here we are five and a half years later so um and we grew. We grew really quickly. Um, you know, I, like, hoped that Kathy would come back to class, and then all of a sudden Kathy turned into two people and three people. In three months' time, we had to triple our size, move to a new location, and then six months later we had to double our size and we moved to our Northfield location and so forth and so on. So five and a half years later, it's a great story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I imagine that at that point when you wanted to move and live here and you thought, oh, I can teach yoga, <laughs> I'm sure there must have been some nights where you woke up thinking, what am I actually doing? Yes. So I left my corporate job in Washington, D.C., where I made a good living steady yeah and then I moved home and it was not glamorous at all I actually lived with my mommy this year and um, I lived in DC where I didn't have a car and I would walk from her house to the studio and ultimately I knew that the sacrifice like a simple sacrifice paid off exponentially in the long run do you remember what when you woke up on those days where you're like why am I doing this I'm living at home, I'm aged, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have money, I don't know when I'm next going to have money. How did you kind of get yourself through that? I think that um, I know, I know looking back, that it was the people. So it was the people like Kathy, and it was the people like um, Anthony and some other faces in the room, that um, I knew at that point I had a responsibility because they were relying on me for whatever it was, me being their teacher. Or I also, um, from other places that I live, I'm familiar with the type of community that I wanted to create, and I knew it was possible. So on the days that it felt terrible and awful and what the hell am I doing, I had to walk over to that yoga studio anyway. And so, do it. Yeah. Um, what were the biggest surprises to you? It obviously sounds like you were surprised surprised to grow that fast which it sounds like a great surprise to have but like I feel like we're constantly being surprised by the fact that people read our stories um, <laughs> I mean you can find yourself having impact that you didn't expect and you're kind of constantly on your on your toes you know how, mm-hmm. what were some some surprises that you had or how do you deal with kind of tricky fast growth um, yeah well one thing in working in the corporate environment where I was, you know, one person on the totem pole, I didn't necessarily have to deal with people. Like, ultimately, it wasn't my responsibility. If someone was angry or dissatisfied or had an opinion, that was lovely. And I had, you know, a team of thousands of people that also had to deal with the people. So I think that the greatest surprise in the earlier days were, was maybe the pushback uh, the style of yoga that we teach at Grace and Glory shakes people up 
and I know a lot of people in this room have practiced with us before, so it really pushes people's buttons, and it, it in a way, um, for back of, lack of a better way to put it, it forces people to grow, and so when you're out there doing something that matters, there's always pushback, and uh, I think I'm surprised most. We teach hot yoga, and I actually, Ray and I were in the car the other day, and I remember this woman that she came into our studio the first week that I was open and she walked over to the wall and put the air conditioning on in the middle of class. <laughs> and uh, we saw her just the other day and I was like, oh, there she is again, the air conditioning lady. So I think what I was most surprised about is that I knew in my head I had a vision and I knew it would take time. I knew it would take relentless effort. And I think what I was most surprised by was the pushback. Mm-hmm. And how did you deal with that? Um, hopefully graciously. I uh, just stood my ground. You know, I knew I wasn't confident in much except for I knew what I was holding out for. Mm-hmm. And so when people were, you know, pushing back against our, our at the time it was just me. So my culture that I was out to create in, the, in this area um yeah, I guess I just knew that that's what I was up to, and I had to be unshakable and unmessable with in what I was after. Yeah, I think having that self-belief is something that is so important and so hard to kind of cling on to or hold on to in those tough times. Um, I also think that knowing that what you're doing works in some other situation, even if it's not in, even if you haven't seen it done in South Jersey, if you know that it's worked somewhere else, that can give you huge confidence, definitely. Yeah, I think that, you know, anything that there's so many people that have various different businesses in the room right now, and I think if we all um, borrowed an idea from someone and made it our own in terms of visioning. And so uh, I love that, and I love being in the room with so many different minds and people that believe different things. And uh, we can totally borrow that and then create our own. So I think it's important to um, you know, move the ball forward in terms of whatever it is, like if I experienced, I was living in Jacksonville, Florida at the time when I experienced the Baptiste Yoga Studio, and it was amazing, and I knew that I I wanted to expand it in a way that I had vision for. So, um, yeah, I think having, being empowered to move into a new context with whatever it is that you are after is important. What was the biggest challenge when you started out? Oh, well, okay. So (laughs) the greatest challenge when I started was, as I said, I was working in the corporate world, and then I quit my job on a whim and wanted to teach yoga and had nowhere to teach yoga. And so um, I moved home, blew through my savings very quickly, and I signed a lease on a space that was one month of just the rent was more than I had in my bank account. So that was a massive motivator for me to get out there and um, so I could pay the bills. Yeah, (laughs) and I still, some days, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is happening. And I think in the world of being an entrepreneur, I mean, the by its very definition is you're taking financial risks that you you don't know how they're going to go. You don't know how it's going to pan out. And that's almost the, um, the allure 
and the challenge and every day um, I also went to art school which I do nothing with now but I pour all of my creative energy into my business and so really it becomes the challenge is something that I'm fueled by I feel like that is something that people don't talk enough about uh, when they talk about starting a business is kind of like the financial incentive because you need to eat yeah. <laughs> or you need to move out from your parents home or you need to uh, put your, pay your kids uh, JCC tuition <laughs> uh, the, um, but I feel like the other thing that, that I've been thinking about a lot and it's funny because when I was thinking about interviewing you when you're 8 months pregnant um, we have two kids and whenever I talk to other uh, friends of mine who are thinking about having kids a lot of them are in this kind of tricky work situation. When do I have kids? When do I don't? And I always say, I don't think there's any perfect time. To have, it's not really something that you can plan. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel the same way about starting your own business. Like, you can do all of the planning that you... I mean, we did a lot of planning. And pretty much nothing that we planned for really helped us. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't until we started making mistakes or we started having some kind of feedback, like until we started putting kind of investment of time um, into the business that we started to know what we were what we were doing. Um, that sounds like it was your experience as well. Yeah, well, failure is, in my opinion, like failure and play are the only two ways that we learn as human beings. And so in the arena of business, you have to be out there. If you're not, I'm a firm believer that if you're not out there failing, you're also not growing and you're not doing anything that has impact or matters. And so, yeah, you have to put yourself out there. You have to learn what you don't know. And the only way that you do that is to go out and fail. But do you, I mean the the other question I guess is one of timing. You know, do you think there is a perfect time? To no, <laughs> no. Um, Kathy and I and our board are getting ready to open a nonprofit yoga studio, which is a huge risk, especially in a severely economically depressed area. And um, we are opening literally one month before my due date. So. Um, yeah, there's there's no right time. There's, I like how you said that. There's no right time to have children. There's no right time to get started. We have been in the works of this situation for two years, um, and now it's just the time. We have a concept in our studio culture called You Are Ready Now, and that's really what we bring. We bring that methodology to what it is that we do. Like, no matter what you do, you're never going to be prepared. There's never enough, like, leadership, entrepreneurial books that you can read or blogs or, um, like, Gary Vaynerchuk videos that you can watch on Instagram that are going to make you feel like you're ready to open a business or to take a risk or anything like that. Like, you just have to be out there and dive right in the deep end. Um, one of the things that I found hardest to deal with with starting my own business is just how it's like an extension of you, the person, and how when you receive criticism or when you receive praise, you kind of take these totally disproportionately and out of context very often. Um, how do you, how, did, did you feel like that and how did you deal with it? 
Yeah, I'm, well, I'm fortunate enough to have the practice of yoga, which is a <laughs> continual practice of learning, you know, really getting clear on what is subjective reality and what is objective reality. And so, sure, totally. Opening a business, I took everything personally. When that lady turned on the air conditioning, I'm like, no, she doesn't get it. I'm, do, I'm trying to do this thing, and it doesn't matter. So... Um, Really listening, I think, has made the difference. Really listening, really inquiring, really being a space for people to come and give you feedback. I'll say, Grace and Glory, that's one of the things that's um, distinct about our culture is that we really do believe in a feedback culture. And people are so surprised at that. They never want to tell you what they didn't like about a yoga class, what they didn't like about when they checked in, what they didn't like about, I don't know, the toilet paper in the bathroom, or really whatever it is. And we want to know. I want to know. It matters to me. Um, and, of course, everyone has an opinion. And so really listening for what's objective and what is subjective and what can help you grow as a business and who you are in serving the community is a value to us. So, uh, so it was also your birthday yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> well. um, and I saw you post on social media that you were switching things off. <laughs> um, how did that go? Do you find it harder <laughs> to, to turn things off? And you know, Totally, yeah. There was a time where, you can ask Ray about this in the early years, where I just would sit by my phone and I'd be like, well, someone's going to text me that they're mad at me or they need something or, you know, 24 hours a day. And I'm fortunate enough now to have a really incredible team and then also creating boundaries of, you know, what's acceptable. Like, for example, I posted that on, uh, so I made a, pay, a post on Facebook about how I was so excited to put my autoresponder to my, e- my autoresponse on my email for, like, one day. That was my birthday gift to myself. And then, I kid you not, like, ten seconds later, I get all these Facebook inbox messages from people in our community. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that didn't work. And it really takes discipline Right, And it's just in the same way of sacrificing, like, what do I need that nourishes me in my personal life so that I can be a greater stand for people when I show up at the studio or when we're in creation of what we're in creation of on Tennessee Avenue. I know that I can't show up as my best self and then the whole, the team suffers, our clientele suffers, like, we all suffer if I don't do simple things like shut off my cell phone or like a couple years ago I had no skills and boundaries and I just went out and got a new cell phone number and then kept my old one and then you know just gave everyone my new one so (laughs) it was completely pointless but it's been a long process of learning how to create boundaries for myself I know some of you are probably thinking who cares like you own a yoga studio like why would people have yoga emergencies at three o'clock in the morning and I promise you that they believe that they do and so um, really creating a clear boundary for myself and the constant reminder of self-care is important if you want to be in the game for a long time alright so one of the last questions I have for you um, I want you to tell me what you're most proud of um, and when, whether there's also a moment where you look back and you're like, I don't know how I, how I got through that to the other side. Okay. Yeah. What I am most proud of wouldn't be a moment, 
But what I'm most proud of, and I don't say it because they're in the room, but I do say it because I think it's a really clear example of community. Is um, There are like 10 people in this room right now that are either teachers or they practice yoga with us and listening to them introduce themselves and what they're up to in the world as a result of their yoga practice and really create like that's what creates sustainability for me as a yoga studio owner and a teacher like really listening to them and like people like my mom and my husband and my business partner and the people that work for me that are in this room, hearing what they're creating for themselves as a result of the practice that Grace and Glory Yoga stimulates in others is hands down my proudest, it's like my pride and joy and just, I could listen to them all day of what they're out, you know, creating for themselves. And uh, to go back to the second part of your question seeing through the other side I think of the air conditioning lady and I think of all the people that came and went and like you know thought we were like the worst yoga place ever and you know all that kind of stuff where people give you feedback of they they don't maybe align with you or your culture or with me as an individual and whatever whether it was negative feedback or nasty you know whatever it is Seeing that, you know, for every one naysayer, I'm fortunate enough to have 100 or 200 people that are out there really creating ripple effect and impact in this area. All right, so my last question is kind of in two parts again as well. Um, I want to know what you think has been key to creating a sustainable business, and I mean that in terms of one that you personally can keep going as well as a business that keeps itself going. Um, and then I want to know what your advice would be for all of us. Got it. Okay. Well, that would be, I think I can kill two birds with one stone with that <laughs> question. But to have vision, really. Um, I know that all of us here, based on what you shared, like the the underlying theme of it all is that we're all here because we have a vision for Atlantic City, whether you moved away and came back or you stayed and you didn't run away. Um we all have vision for what Atlantic City was, what it is currently, and then what it has the possibility to be. So when, you know, you got a lot of you have your own businesses, and so I say this as my advice or my please remember this when things get challenging, is that remember that you have a vision for what is possible. And that you also, so the twofold of that in my answer, is that not only are, do you have vision, which is why you're here, but you are also the source. There is no one like coming to the rescue to make Atlantic City great again. Like no one is going to do that except for the person that's like wearing your clothing right now. Mm-hmm. Like we are all here because we have vision and yeah, no one, no, we are, we are the chosen people. If you have that vision, there's no one. Um, you know, another casino is not going to help us. Another someone with some other kind of hokey idea, it's, it hasn't worked. And so the new narrative, in my opinion, is really grassroots, whether you're a massive law firm, nationally recognized law firm, or football, you know, um, and, you know, whatever it is, or you're just considering opening a business, 
know that you matter and that the people in this area matter and that has so much to say about um, who we all are in this room and the people that are interested in listening to this recording is that we have vision and we're also the source. This is it. I posted a quote. um, Brene Brown came out with a new book today, actually. And part of her book, um, I'll totally butcher the quote, but I did post it on Facebook so you can reference that if you want. Um, But instead of complaining, essentially, I'll sum it up as like, that will, will be out there being a contribution. And so my last bit of advice is that if you find yourself complaining, about the people that live in this area, the way it is, the way it has been, um, why no one's buying into your business, stop complaining and start being the contribution, being the source of whatever it is that you want to see in this area and connecting with people so that they know what your vision is and what you're up to. Um, Because everybody that's shared in this room, you know, matters. All right. Who else has questions? (laughs) <laughs> Mark. So, um, yeah, I'm just now recently don't familiar with your business and the concept. And I, I sense that the culture is very strong and very positive. And yeah, I just kind of see that in where you are present and the way you reference and who speaks about you and what you know, kind of tone of voice they use to describe your business. And, and culture is a really funny thing. It's, it's one of those things that you know, it's perceived by various people inside an organization and outside different all the time. And I'm always grappling with, you know, do you start with the culture that you want to build? Is the culture emerging and preserve it? Do you identify the culture when you think you hit the right spot and you try and keep it there? Like, what, what's your approach to kind of you're establishing, building, or maintaining the culture that you think you have and that you want? I think it's important to know that a brand and a culture are two distinct things. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys have incredible branding, by the way, at Water <laughs> Distillery. And uh, uh, well, yeah, and you do it's developing. So one thing that I always uh, refer back to, or I express to my team, is that our culture isn't what we say about us; it's what they say about us. And so creating you know, boundaries of the way that we communicate with people or what we um, really clear guidelines on, this is the way that Grace and Glory Yoga does things and not coming from a place of being cavalier about it, but this, this is what we stand for. We hold true to our core values and um, really making sure that anybody that works for us really is aligned both personally and professionally is super important so that I know when I'm not at the studio because as, as you grow you can't be everywhere which I've learned the hard way um, is that I need to know that every employee whoever whether they're volunteer staff or teachers or assistants or whomever that they are able to be a model of what Grace and Glory Yoga is and that way I have the confidence of when Jake comes in for a class at 5.30 in the morning, he doesn't take my class because I don't wake up that early to teach yoga that. That's the only time I can get there. Yeah, because he's busy being, you know, never mind. Just kidding. But it's one of the greatest compliments is that I came in tonight and um, Jake introduced himself and complimented a teacher 
of mine who I am liter I literally am not there. I've been to two five thirty AM classes in the five and a half years that we've been open, but just what he was expressing about his experience in the class was dead on the money of what I would hope that someone that I don't know would say about a class that they were taking. And so anyway, to answer your question mark is really understanding that us as business owners, our main thrust is to become leaders and models for the people that work for us um, to then go forth and model. And if you don't have anybody that works for you, do you think that still works? Like, do you th- how, how do you kind of, I don't know, what do other people in the room think? If you're just a one-person or a two-person business, how do you kind of keep that story strong or that culture? How do you build that? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what I was saying when we first started talking tonight is it really takes you being steadfast in what you stand for. So if you haven't yet taken time to sit down and be in inquiry about who you are and your vision and what you stand for, please don't like let the night go by without really just setting aside 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour where you get to a space of, okay, this is the vision I have for myself. This is the impact that I'm out to make and um, really stay true to, okay, this is what I value. And that way I always use my values as like a system of checks and balances. And that's how I know that if I'm making the right choice, it's because it's aligned with my values. Anyone? Um, So when you started out, obviously it was just you, and you didn't know how long until you were going to get staff, I'm assuming. Um, So my first part of my question is, how long was it until you were able to hire someone to help you? It was about, I would say, nine or ten months. So, um, which doesn't seem like a long time, and it was felt like a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, knowing that, well, let me be really candid and transparent when I say that I didn't have more money than my, I left $700 in my bank account when I opened a business. And I was fortunate to not really have overhead. And so I knew that just showing up every day and teaching the classes, I think there's a, I posted about this earlier, like being an entrepreneur is like this sexy allure to it, like um, like a business person and whatever. But it is like totally the reality as most of us know in this room, it is the polar opposite of that. And um, I've also learned, because we did expand really quickly. And so with huge expansion, the way that we experience it and monetary growth, you know, the old adage of mo money, mo problems was completely true completely true and so we expanded and people wanted to franchise and like we had all that stuff happen and as um, you know five years ago I was like wow this is so cool and I really got I just to be honest with you got caught up in the wow this could be amazing this could be a national blah 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 you know that whole thing and what I learned was to go back to the basics So as we got bigger, my failure was buying into the bigness of it all. And then there's no substitution for rolling up your sleeves and you as owner, leader, doing the work. My other part of my question is how do you not get discouraged when you're 
doing everything. And you have people who are supporting you, and they praise you, and they're there by your side, and you love them. But at the same time, when you really need a team of people to help you, no one's there but you. And what you're doing is that of a team needed to be 10, 10, 20 people. So how did you, you know, even the days you got discouraged, um, I find that with starting my nonprofit, which I kind of was similar to you. I worked at a job for six years. I was, I'm a social worker, so I was not making good money to be <laughs> and working like four jobs to even try to pay my bills. But um, I knew that there was a change in the company I was working for, and it was going in a direction I didn't agree with. And I fought it for a year, and then I was bringing it home and keeping it to, to myself every day. Um, no one knew. I was just going home and crying. And um, I had this idea for a year, and then when something was presented to me in May, I said, I need to do something. I have this idea for a nonprofit. I'm just going to do it. So I resigned. Same thing. Um, really blew through my money. Um, I've been lucky enough to get this job that I've wanted for the past four months that's going to help me sustain. It's only working one job and not 50. But um, with the whole starting the nonprofit, I'm, I'm, I'm diving in and I have co-founders and I have a board and I have this great team of support. But at the end of the day, when, I, when there's tons of stuff to do, no one's there but me. And I find that days where I just want to give up. Mm. Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. <laughs> I think everybody in this room can. And um, as you move forward, or my experience was as I was able to move forward, there were lots of people that wanted to help or wanted to be involved. And while that was really great and I was super appreciative, they weren't necessarily totally aligned to what I believed to be true about the business or what I wanted for the business. And so we went through quite a few cycles of getting to people that were fully aligned with our culture. And um, that was difficult too. So I guess what I would say to you is just go out there and enroll people in what it is that you're doing. I happen to know a little bit about your nonprofit, which is amazing. And I know that there are, I know just from personal experience and also having a not-for-profit in Atlantic City is that there's every day people tell me that they want to be involved with my nonprofit and really they want to actually be involved with your nonprofit. So those people are out there. <laughs> and the more that you express, you know, who you are and what you're up to, I have full confidence that you will quickly get a team of people and just remember that you're the leader like you're the flame holder you know and um, that you are the source and so you know not in a way that's controlling but in a way that really sets people free to be a contribution to not only you but to your organization and I think uh, something that you said earlier is also true as well Bill and I are kind of nine months a year into our business and I feel like at the beginning the black days were black because we didn't know what the point was you know you had like a down day and you can't even see what you know what could get better but then when you start to actually do some business or you have some money coming in from what you're doing then it gets kind of the dark days are still dark and they're also kind of terrifying because you feel like you have a responsibility to, to produce or do a business 
But at the same time, it kind of takes a little bit of the edge off a little bit because you feel like you, there are people out there who appreciate what you're doing and you, that you, what you're doing is worth something to someone. And so it does, like, the dark days are still dark, but they kind of more happens to kind of keep you, like, going forward, I think. Yeah, I think it's also important to know, you know, in my business, since we're five and a half years young, I know there's lots of people in this room that their businesses, you've been at it for much longer than I have and have more expertise in longevity. And I can tell you that five and a half years later, I have an amazing team, people that I can really rely on, and there are still dark days. So I don't want um, any, I wouldn't want anyone to be naive about, you know, it's like, oh, yay, I own my own business and now I'm like on my yacht. (laughs) Maybe you are, but there are dark days on your yacht too, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So kind of back to your whole um, boundaries and and finding that balance. As an entrepreneur, um, I feel like there's a big culture right now of you'll sleep when you're dead. Like if you're not (laughs) grinding, like the Gary Vee thing, and I love him. And and and, but some of his things, like so that balance between you're always hustling and holy crap, I really need to go to sleep right now. Like you know that self care sustainability, longevity kind of thing versus do it now and sleep later. You know, how do you, how do you, what's your take on that balance? Well, I didn't have balance and I learned through things like adrenal fatigue, et cetera, et cetera, that I didn't have balance at all. And then what I've learned since that time being on the other side of it is that uh, we have a t-shirt at Grace and Glory that says alignment is the new hustle. And I fully believe that, you know, like hustle and that type, like that's totally a societal thing that especially Americans have created. And it's total bullshit, pardon my French. And um, I know that when I am in alignment with what I want to be up to, when I'm working with who I want to be working with, and when I'm not, you know, so it's like... um, I use my values as my guiding light, my North Star in that. And so when I feel like I'm hustling or things are taking so much energy for me or feeling really drained, I know that somewhere I am out of alignment. And then I get back in. Right, oh, but that's my work. Thanks. Any more questions? I, I, I actually have a question because um, you were talking about dark days. I can understand dark days like nobody shows up to yoga or whatever but like as a media company I was wondering what that means starting like a media company. It's like there's no still like what does that look like? Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So the kind of like total honest truth of our business is that we thought we were like we thought we had it, like we had everything planned. We'd like lived in Mexico for five years and been at, you know, I'd had a great job. We'd like Phil had done, written a book. We'd done some really cool things. We'd saved up a load of money. Uh, what to us oh, was God. like a load of money. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the yeah. ground in Mexico. Uh, and like it just, the money just like was vanishing <laughs> like before our eyes, like week by week. And it was like, 
Oh, you know, I think we can like keep going for another two months. I think we can keep going for another two months. Um, and it's still kind of like that, but um, and it's still there are dark days and it's still scary. But something at some point happened when we kind of ran out of savings, which was that uh, we just had to make it work. Um, and so I kind of. Uh, and that, I do think that kind of ties into this um, idea of um, Max Slusher, who I don't know if anybody, any of you know, he works for the Atlantic County Economic Alliance. Um, they have, in theory, a big project to like help entrepreneurs and business owners in this area because uh, they paid some you know, very well-trained and educated consultants who came in and took one look at Atlantic County and we're like, well, there are only low-paying jobs. Uh, so it's a great place to be, <laughs> to start up your own business. Um, and it, like, it, it, it is in a lot of ways because some things are cheap and you just, you really are in that crunch kind of all the time. Like, I have to do something and I have to make it work. I don't know. The dark days are really bad. <laughs> the yeah, I, mean, I think as, as a media company like the, the whole industry that is in turmoil. But it's also like people like understand that it's uh, necessary, right? Like the, the credibility problem that the media has has yeah. like become acute to the point where uh, there's maybe more engagement. Uh, so we're in this weird situation where like, we, we feel a very strong sense of mission, but everyone is baffled as to like how to uh, make this sustainable. Um, but if we figure it out, you know, that's great. We're doing something um, for democracy, for our community. For, uh, uh, so that's, that's, I think that's what a dark day feels like, shouting into the void, you know, like you wrote some story that you felt like was, people should be reading and uh, you can't get anyone to see it. <laughs> to retweet it um, or you know <laughs> the, you the really dark days <laughs> oh and like Twitter is full of thousands of people <laughs> saying local journalism is dead <laughs> and we're like hello over here <laughs> could we just get a retweet <laughs> um, but yeah so everybody <laughs> Dina was talking is that so journalism is in this tricky world like as an industry nobody knows how to fund it whether it should be for profit or non-profit um, we have made a very conscious decision that we want to be a business we don't want to make oodles of money but we want to be able to employ people and we want to uh, tell people that we're in this 
community as a small business and we want to support other small businesses. Um, so that's a conscious decision. But we have also applied for non-profit funding uh, unsuccessfully. But what I will say is that the process of going through those non-profit applications has been actually really helpful in terms of making us like like say you're having a dark day like if you just write down five reasons why you're doing this and why you think what you're doing matters to other people like that's actually a pretty good way of making you feel like oh yeah what I do is important or I'm providing some kind of service that people need um, yeah and we've like <laughs> we, we finished our last uh, round of fun, our last funding application at like 11.30 before the midnight deadline I want to say that it like, was a, a very uh, uplifting experience even though we were then rejected felt <laughs> 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 exactly what you said that was what gets me there like I in these past four months I had my days where my friends were calling me off the hook because I didn't answer a text message and they knew something was wrong and that's because I just didn't want to leave my house and I didn't want to talk to anyone because I was just, I can't do this. And they'd show up in my house. But it was, there was always signs that showed me this is what I was meant to do. Whether it was a random old client that came forward or it was someone talking about how, you know, they had someone show up for a job interview and they looked like they just rolled out of bed and there's, you know, whatever it was, there were just things that kept happening that are just like, I, once I refocused on what I was doing and why I wanted to do it, it always brought me back to life. The, the other thing that I've started doing recently is uh, occasionally if I go into New York, uh, I'll meet up with somebody that I used to work with and just listen to them talk about <laughs> all of the terrible things <laughs> happening in their office. And then sure. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I made this choice. It's good. And I just, I just let that be my motivation. Like, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to help people. Like I'm meant to open this. Everything fell into place so this can happen. So that brings me back to life um, until something knocks me down again. But it's just when I look at what we've created thus far, that's what gets me excited. And when I'm talking about it, that's what gets me excited. But then I'm like, I'm nuts. I'm one person. What the hell am I doing? And then my bills just keep piling up. But I have this crazy notion that it doesn't matter. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Put me in jail for not paying my bills? Like, I don't know where, what I think is going to happen. No, you're <laughs> You know what I did? Um, I, you know, Joe and I go way back. I'm looking over you. Uh, this is your one of my saviors. I had, you know, I when I started to develop my line of business, and I started to see some early success uh, with my current line of business. I really didn't know what it should be. I really, you know, and I quite honestly, I meditated for a while as to get some good clarity because if I didn't have clarity nobody else will right so I meditate on you know what is my role what do I really want to serve and you know what else though I passed on that vision and I want to be paid well for it and I think sometimes and you know I just hired my first employee and it's in my vision statement and I shared that with her because I want her to have value with her work too. And I think that was an important thing to put in my vision statement. Mm 
I don't know if I'm going to make that terribly public, um, but it is our internal. It is our internal. I think that's really, really super important because I also feel like it. We've somehow developed this notion that if we're like doing something good, that we have to be like broke and like struggling. That's mm-hmm. that's what you do. Like, no, I want to like really help people, but also make a lot of money too. <laughs> Well, I think it's really important that you understand, though, like whether you are for-profit or non-profit, and then we're talking about this financial conversation, is that, uh, like, I have a personal preference of, like, we just say at Grace and Gloria, well, we have a different bottom line. Our bottom line is people, and then I worry about feet on the mat, and then money will come. But if I'm worried about money, then there's it's, it's an interesting thing. There's no feet on the mats. So I put my attention on my vision and the abundance of my vision versus, oh my gosh, like how, like when I had the $700 in my bank account, like how am I going to pay my electric bill? And I probably didn't for a couple months, if I'm being quite honest about it. So yeah, totally. And it, and it's okay to say, like, yeah, this is what I'm worth. I mean, that's how Jake started this conversation, is this is what I'm worth, and I won't waver from that. Uh, finishing this, what we were talking about, um, it's, it's, it's terribly important to get out and share with people what you do and what you're good at. Um, Jake's an excellent attorney, he has an excellent education, but if he didn't have any clients, he doesn't have a business. He has to be out sharing, and if Jake does it, I could be the best stock trader in the entire world. If I didn't let people know, hey, I'm good at what I do, come work with us, and we get clients, then the money starts coming in. So, I can concentrate on learning about the stock market all day, but it doesn't do me any good if I can't share that with other people. So take the meetings whenever you possibly can. I still call bigly brokers in the area and take them out to lunch and say, what did you do right? And anybody would take that meeting. If somebody called you and said, I'm thinking of, total stranger, I'm thinking of opening the yoga studio, you take that meeting 10 out of 10 times and yeah. say, this is what happened to me. Good luck. But people are willing to share their stories. So go out and meet people and you know, share what you're good at. It's important. Oh, the last question. Did you have, um, well, I'll preface it with this, that I found at least that it's important to ask for help and to put your ego aside and to be able to say to somebody, this is what you captured your vision. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. How can you help me get there? Did you have a moment in the last five and a half years where you did that, where you put, whether it was you had to put your ego aside or just to approach somebody and say, I need your help? Um, Can you tell us about that? Yeah, raise your hand if you're in this room right now and you were at one point or another on my team. So you can look around to all these people. And they're all people that I've had to ask for help. At one point or another, like total SOS. Or like really identifying like I know that we're way more powerful together like you were saying just sharing what you're up to and they're like okay yeah like I'm totally aligned with that so it's less about me and my vision and it's more about us and our vision which I think is really important and community as I said is my most the thing that I'm most proud of and um there are totally times where on the dark days, as we're calling it tonight, um, where I know that I need, I can like, I remember being in two actually conversations. One, I remember being in the 
parking lot of a flooring store with Arlie, like totally like, what the hell am I doing? And then, please help me. And then I remember sitting on Kathy's front porch like, what the hell am I doing? I'm having a spiritual life crisis. Please help me. And, uh, you know, they were my students and they turned into my team because I was willing to be vulnerable enough to say, okay, I'm struggling here or I don't know what I'm doing because, um, and please forgive me, I forget your name. I know that you shared it. Yeah. Dan. Yeah, so what Dan was saying is like, you, you have, like, the way that I see that is being vulnerable enough to share who you are and to what you're good at because the reality is that I'm good at certain things. I'm good at people. I'm good at communicating. And there's, like, so much about my business I'm so bad at, like wealth management. <laughs> and <laughs> we can help each other. So it's so, it's so valuable. It's so valuable. And um, I just want to circle back as my, my final bit of advice is that this afternoon Kathy and I were having a conversation um, about how people change and how communities change. And we were talking about, I'm sure many people in this room are familiar with the work of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And what I want to say to you, Dina, is that I don't believe that anyone that hasn't been faced with some type of adversity, whether it's in their life or in their professional life, to me, people are credible because they've had the rug royally ripped out from underneath of them and they stood up and they carried on anyway. So if that's something that you experience or if you haven't experienced, you're either A, not creating something big enough or important enough, or B, your time is coming, um, just get up and do it anyway. Yeah. Sherry? Um, um, I'm Sherry from Rackham. Sorry I was late. I'm from Little Rock Films and Studios in Bender, and we've been open a year now. So, um, And I just want to shine the bright light, I should say, onto Eleanor and Bill because a year ago they helped change my life and I've met people that I would have never met before. I've gotten more successful in my business because of them and Room 40 and every day I look forward to reading what they're doing and finding out what's happening in Atlantic City. Um, it's just it, it really did change my life. And the project we're working on now really came from an article I read in reporting. So even though I know they're not making the money that they really deserve to be making right now, I know they struggle. Um, but this is what you're doing. You're bringing people together. You're introducing people that want to see change and good change in Atlantic City. And um, this is how it's going to happen. So... There's the bright light. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so there are actually two projects that we want to uh, talk to you guys about. In the uh, folders that you have, um, there's a password that will get you access to a special page um, where we're going to put up the video and the audio from tonight. So don't worry if you weren't writing down everything that everybody said. You'll be able to watch it and listen back. Um, and also, um, we're going to... Everybody uh, that has the password to that page will also get a pass to our next business boot camp, um, 
Atlas Water Distillery with Mark. Um, and the projects that we think we can do maybe with this group, and uh, hopefully this group grows going forward, um, we want to create a small business directory. Um, and what we want to do that's a little bit different from the existing business directories that are out there is um, we want to know if there are services that you might be able to barter with other people. So um, one way that uh, startup journalism companies have been kind of getting going is by um, bartering in return for advertising. We would absolutely do that. Um, so, yeah. Um, and we think that there are other people that can offer services or offer help or time um, in return for goods. Um, and we just want to create a directory that's actually uh, just small independent uh, businesses because I don't think there is one. Um, and then we're also doing hopefully another directory which will be a list of um, farmers markets and uh, other event producers who sometimes need local business vendors. Um, and both of these are going to be free projects that we're just going to coordinate. Um, but if you want to help us spread the word, we'll be kind of talking about them on the site and in social media going forward. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. And before you guys mingle, I do want to um, say that as a collaborative juncture, is that on uh, Thursday the 28th, we will have um, Africa Yoga Project in the house who has completely inspired the work that we'll be doing here, are doing here in Atlantic City. So Thursday the 28th at 6 o'clock, well, we will be at Little Water Distillery. And we'll have an all-levels class led by two of our Kenyan friends who are totally badass. So even if you've never done yoga or you can't touch your toes, we don't care. Show up anyway, and we'll be at Little Water. And what the reason why I'm saying that is because I know you all have a heart for Atlantic City and to thoroughly understand what it is that we are up to with the leadership studio. Um, I invite you to come out to Little, Little Water in two weeks and experience Africa Yoga Project and all of the current teachers that are Atlantic City residents and people that um, are in training or leadership development training programs with us. So that's Thursday the 28th, 6 o'clock, leave work early, yoga, cocktails, all the things. I'm not coming. Eight months pregnant. Before everybody gets up, I would like to clarify one one thing I said earlier. When I say $800 an hour, that was the highest. My rate is not $800. That's it. It should be done. Maybe someday it will be. But actually, one other thing that we would like to do eventually, if we um, if we find that there's enough interest in these kind of events. Um, we might kind of do some formal training down the road as well um, and some kind of formal legal sessions or accounting sessions. And there's lots of questions I can answer without um, opening a pot with a truck in. So, uh, <laughs> do, please don't hesitate. Use me as a resource. You know, if it's something we have to charge for, we'll tell you. But, uh, <laughs> 20 pages of questions. Never been <laughs> 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 Yeah.